0: Personality-wise, it may be more humble because in the commandos it's a bit unique in the sense that the lieutenants are actually chosen by people who are who were once your friends. It means the people that you lead were once people who sleep beside you, were mm-hmm. once people who are just your friends and you see the same people for two years. And I thought I learned the concept, the single most important concept, given the stature or you know the prestige of being a lieutenant, you know, was that you're just first amongst equal. You know, it's just people that you stand in front and that you know the, the power is still in their hands, you know, they vote for you.
1: Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the fourth episode of Cut the BS by FoundAid. My name is Sean and I'm your host. If you've been tuning in, thank you for your support thus far. We're hosting a giveaway on our FoundAid Singapore and Malaysia Instagram accounts where you can stand a chance to win a dedicated desk membership for a month. Simply follow our accounts and look out for the giveaway announcement post. Happy listening. Today we have invited a founding member, co-founder, and CEO of an award-winning startup, Datachur, um, Kichin Go. Welcome, Kichin, and please introduce yourself to the audience.
0: Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. So yeah, I actually run a startup called Datachur. You know, Datachur to put it simply is a AI automation startup that helps mm-hmm. companies, teams, researchers build computer vision models or AI models without ever writing a single line of code. So without think... ever
1: writing a line of code.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Cool. We'll we'll go more into that later. I want to learn more about like what you do, especially in uh, artificial intelligence. But before that, we have a rapid round so that and this is uh, a rapid round that you can only answer with one word answer, yes or no, okay. or you know any one word. So I'll just go and then you know quickly and get this over with. <laughs> are you ready? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. How are you today? Good. Have you had lunch? Yes. Gin or whiskey? Whiskey. What's your current favorite song? Uh,
0: oh, that got me. Uh, <laughs> I guess probably the latest uh, uh, NDP song that I just released. I've been listening to it all day here.
1: The, <laughs> the, the National one Day song that... for Singapore. Yeah. I see, I see. Do you believe in star signs? Uh, no. Okay, if you can time travel, do you wish to travel back in time or into the future?
0: Uh, definitely travel back in time.
1: Back in time. Are you a cool kid in school?
0: Uh, Yes, I was the mischievous
1: <laughs> one. <laughs> cool. Do you think you're successful now? Uh,
0: Professionally, not yet. But I okay. guess in terms of personal well-being, I guess I'm at a state okay. where I'm happy.
1: Cool. And do you think luck has anything to do with it?
0: Mm, like, definitely,
1: for sure. So that is it. Uh, we are done. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's go into the questions. Like you, you said that you, you think you're a cool kid at, at school, right? And then I think that it's a bit of like mismatch in terms of when I think of technical person, because from my understanding, you are very much into tech, right? And you're probably the tech co-founder in the company as well. Mm. Tell us a bit more about your, your, your life in school and how does it actually progress into what you're currently doing?
0: Hmm. For sure. Yeah. I think you know back in school. You know, I'm just a you know, very typical kid. Except you know, back then I've had many you know interests that are beyond you know the academic. You know, I enjoyed sports. Enjoyed going for say hackathons. You know, mm-hmm. recently there's so much of them, a- and I feel like uh, when I was in school, I I just couldn't really you know spend all my time focusing on coursework. I always try to look for something on the outside. And I guess that's really has been me for most of my academic part, which is always trying to try things on the outside, but you know, try to quickly do something in school so that I can leave and have more time out on the outside as well. So I guess what, that's kind of like my personality most of the time.
1: What kind of sport do you do in school? Mm, uh,
0: I didn't do much sport in school. In fact, an interesting fact was in secondary school, I actually played the violin for string ensemble.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> so it was weird. But I guess on the outside, you know, again, I was a lifeguard back then. You know, I was training for lifeguard competition and stuff. Um, it's oh, much wow. more exciting, and it's not a CCA available here in Singapore. So we always have to look outside for mm-hmm. activities.
1: I see. And then when do you start picking up like interest in, um, software engineering, becoming a full stack developer afterwards? How How does this journey begin?
0: Hmm. I, I guess it's all started when. I had this part time usual weekend jobs where I was promoting phones for mobile companies. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was an instance where me and my friend were approached by kind of like a manager to do a website. We were both sixteen years old back then. You saying, you know, like just make a simple website for us to promote the phone and you know, we can have your weekends off. So it was like where it really started. We we spent weekends, you know, and of course late night Fridays to build a website. And that's actually when we first got paid. Um Making websites for people and you know, we just got hooked on technology there. Yeah, hooked on development.
1: So prior to this you already know coding and all, right? Hmm.
0: So I was following like sparse tutorials, just trying things out in general. But I never really had a focus on web development until the, the gig happened.
1: And then after that, do you start get uh, like getting more gigs? How how does it progress?
0: Yeah. Definitely, that, that's how it all started. Uh, after the first gig, we knew it was uh, repeatable at some level. Uh, clients wanted the same thing, or we would find clients who actually wanted something around the same request, you know, like marketing websites, landing sites, and we would just go for them. Me and my friend back then, you know, we, we thought this was the business to be in back then.
1: Cool. So in one of the articles for Founders' blog, right, you mentioned that you can do a 20-minute presentation, you know, either, even without preparation, about how video games are made. Yeah, like, share, share. Tell, tell me a bit more about that. Yes.
0: So actually, uh, you know, just a preamble. I actually graduated, you know, with a lot of knowledge in game making. That was where I was headed, you know, I wanted to make games. Actually, I loved um, programming, uh um, like the physics engine for games, so you know you look at two games like b for Speed, you know, it could be Grand Theft Auto, you know, the interaction between crashes of the car. I was actually very, you know, just enchanted by the whole thing, and I actually spent much of my time developing those, even in my mm-hmm. university days. You know, if I were to do a twenty minute speech, usually it's around you know like how other how things are happening in the games that mm-hmm. you know are not seen by us, and how kind of like you know games company use certain tricks, you know, to kind of improve the experience, you know, for mobile phone, you know, you're PUBG on mobile phone previously it was impossible to have so many players, those are the things that are kind of like my passionate topics about till today.
1: Huh, interesting. Because I've never been into gaming, I don't know, almost, almost my entire life. I've gotten my first PlayStation, it's like PlayStation 4 from my colleagues. Like they just gave gave it to me as as a gift. Just because we we Is, used it, to found game, it, is
0: like... it found it? Is it
1: found it colleagues though? Oh no no. no. Uh. <laughs> <company>. <laughs> okay. Well we can expect like a PS5 maybe. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, so like, do you spend a lot of time gaming when you were younger? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think I was one of those kids that, you know, if we had time, we would go to like a land shop. You know, I know in Malaysia they call it comedy centers, uh, you know, just to really play games with friends. You know, I thought, and back then, you know, uh, you know our age, you know, when we were both younger, uh, you know, like games like Dota, they just came out. Multiplayer mm-hmm. was a big thing. And I thought, you know, I was really caught up in that whole scene when I was much younger. But I think after, you know, my army days, I actually stopped playing games, actually, haven't played game for a long time, uh. Since, but I, I, guess you know, I still reminisce about the days. You know, you would just go out with your friends and sit in front of a computer and have fun for a few hours.
1: Were you competitive, like in gaming or like in general in life? Um, I guess
0: I, I guess I was competitive in gaming for a while, but not because of the competitive nature. I just thought it was like a kind of like a closure to you know spending years playing games. I just thought you know I had to just try it for something. So actually, the last time I remember playing games was actually for a shooting game competition. Uh, it was mm-hmm. hosted here in Singapore, and I thought, you know, with that in mind, I had the closure I needed to
1: kind of. Are you like, good at it? At it?
0: I, I guess I'm just okay, mediocre. <laughs> I guess <laughs> okay. I enjoy being uh, in competitive scenes, but I'm not that great of a player.
1: Got it. Do Do you think being like so, being so into gaming right helps develop you in any any sense? Well, I think it,
0: it definitely did. You know, they always joke that, you know, guys could communicate, you know, almost perfectly in games, you know, over intercom, over, you know, Discord. And I think, you know, it helps a lot in kind of like forming uh, friendship very early. You know, when you meet strangers online, you're kind of forced to quickly socialize, you know, a bunch of stuff. So I think i made quite a lot of friends online. And I think, you know, to today, yes, helped with the communication portion, you know, trying to find out more about people, trying to arrange meetups. You know, those are still extremely relevant today, even as a startup founder.
1: I see, I see, and like just go back a little when you talk about like interesting facts about how video games are made, right? Like, what would be the one mind blowing fact that you know when you tell anyone, everybody's like, shut up, that's not true. I,
0: I say that for most video games, it, for first person shooting games especially. As you're walking, as you're walking into the game, you know, walking to rooms for whatever mission you're doing, things in the back, you know, that you generally can't see. Are technically not there anymore. So, as you turn away from things, things start disappearing oh. away from you without you knowing. And it's actually very creepy if you think about it. Imagine in real life, I'm telling you that everything yeah. behind you actually doesn't exist. But you can't prove it anyway because you can't look behind because if I look behind, it's in front. So, you know, they call this dynamic loading, dynamic view of view loading, in fact, or rendering. So, anything that's not in your view of view is actually discarded most of the time. And you're actually just looking at what's in front of you all the time, which is pretty cool. <laughs>
1: Huh, okay, that's very interesting. And and I think I've kind of like read it, watched it somewhere, saying that PS5 is going to change this whole technology where it renders the whole world out, right, Like, and it's real time and all. Is, is, yeah. is that true?
0: Yeah, I've seen the, the demo that you probably have seen. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was very impressive. I, I think it's definitely exciting because previously, you know, when we wanted to play high graphic games, we usually buy desktops, nice graphic cards, you know, those are the things we think about. But I think now the power, you know, of high-resolution displays given back to console developers, I uh, thought, you know, it, it's probably going to be a new era of, uh, you know, immersive gaming. Mm-hmm.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, right, like, do you think the whole gaming, because gaming industry is huge right now, it's, it's bigger than I can imagine, right? Because I'm never mm-hmm. into it. What do you think is the biggest element that brings it, like, make it so big? Is it the entertainment element out of it, or is there something else that I don't see?
0: Hmm, I think you're right for the most part, you know, entertaining games tend to be more engaging, you know. And I, I think the bigger aspect of it is kind of like, you know, mm. a game that you probably would have heard of is Counter-Strike. It's started as such a small team, you know, and the thing is, it's globally heard of. I, I guess it's really largely because of, you know, community, uh, stable gameplay, you know, proper uh, rules and regulations in place. So I think they all come together to make a game uh, successful.
1: Got it. Okay. And... I want to like, uh, also learn a bit more about your experience in the Army because you were the Lieutenant in uh, SAF and you are also the recipient of the like, Outstanding Service Award. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that, is, that is really impressive and so tell me a bit more about it like so that is is that part of the national service because in Malaysia we don't have this as you know our adulthood experience right. Tell us a little bit about that and how does that affect you like personality and career-wise?
0: Hmm. I can definitely speak for the career vice versa because it's much more obvious. Mm-hmm. Actually three of my my co object co founders, Denzel and Mackenzie at Diddy we all we met each other at army. we all in commandos formation back then. And yeah, we're all lieutenants, so you know it kind of brings bring the company smaller where we are forced to work with each other. And when we started our company, you know, we already hatched out a lot of communication uh, protocols, you know, like who's gonna decide what what things oh that's are pretty cool like, okay. yeah it is. Is,
1: is is your style running the company like running a military
0: <laughs> I, I guess I I guess at the start we tried to do it you know we were set certain okay. times we were set certain routines but you know being a civilian for so long now you know we kind of just let loose and just keep the friendship going yeah okay
1: got it got it so, so that that is career-wise, right? How how do you think it affects you personality-wise? Because yeah, you also it, mentioned like you mm. never game anymore after you know you've joined the military. Like, why is that so? Mm. Well, I guess
0: uh, I guess uh, I think they might be two separate events. You know, it's just kind of uh, after a while you didn't have time for it because of army, and then you kind of just and I didn't really want to get into it. You know, it's kind of like you know should I watch Game of Thrones from the start? You know, if you start, you cannot end it. So I guess it's a bit of that attitude. So Army definitely did contribute to that as well. Personality-wise, I guess, I guess it made, it made me more humble, I guess, because in the commandos, it's a bit unique in the sense that the lieutenants, you know, the officers, are actually chosen by people who are who are once your friends. So, hmm. you know, just a, like a 30-second history of it is, usually if you were to join like a basic military training as a fresh recruit, you know, you move on to be sergeants, to be officers, blah, blah, blah. By commando is what in Singapore they call a mono intake. It means the people that you meet were once people who sleep beside you, were mm. once people who are just your friends, and you see the same people for two years. And I thought I learned the concept, the single most important concept, given the stature or you know the prestige of being a lieutenant, you know whatever they call it these days, was that you're just first amongst equal. You know, it's just people that you stand in front, and that you know, the the power is still in their hands. You know, they vote for you; they can. Can you be
1: can unvoted? Have- out of your position,
0: can't easily. <laughs> but you probably get, you probably lose a lot of respect, and you know that's and it okay. suddenly everything you say doesn't matter, and that's actually where you don't want to be. So personality wise, you know, I really figure out to put people in front of me. You know, like to make sure that if I'm given a certain position, like a co-founder, could be like a internship supervisor. You know, I really treat everyone as friends. You know, am just first among equal? I guess that's the concept that I really picked up. Hmm.
1: Okay, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek. Like, like I like all his books and all, right? Uh, i I always understand that leaders are the people who are trusted like by people who follow but it's also very interesting to like come from that perspective I mean in some ways it's, it's that one person everyone puts their trust in but yeah like I, I think I think a humbling experience from from the military it's 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 very refreshing uh, perspective for me because I've never experienced that. Mm.
0: Yeah, but I think you definitely, you know, put in the group, as, uh, group as, you know, which is really, it's a, it's a refresh experience. You know, mm. no one actually expects to do it. No one actually expects to learn much of it. But it's those kind of mini lessons you learn along the way that uh, turns out to be bigger impact you know to you later on.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. So back in our rapid rounds, right, you mentioned that you would rather travel back in time. Mm. Why is that so? What What is there in the past that you want to go back to?
0: ah yeah so (laughs) this is a great question actually yeah I think there's like a you know a lot of moments you know career-wise or personality-wise that you know uh, in hindsight I would like to have changed it it could just not be bad things you know it could be both good and bad things that you know I wanted to align myself I guess in general I I try to look back more often than to kind of see what kind of um, mistakes I could correct personality-wise you know then try to look forward and try to you know try to look ahead i guess the future is exciting and you know I, I feel like it's better to ship it from the past and try to engineer for for the future that often so i guess my you know immediate response was to go back in time and fix some uh, stuff
1: okay so so there is if there is one thing that you can fix right like back in time what would that be um uh,
0: i guess career wise would be to really start the company earlier to really have to really you know avoid making some of the career mistakes you know like working on the wrong problem statements you know with my friends you know if I could go back and just appear two years ago bam you know I would just go (laughs) tell my co-founder Denzel and Mackenzie hey you know we quickly let's focus on this no code thing it's going to be a thing of the future let's not waste time circling around other stuff and I guess personality wise I guess would be you know to spend more time in the past you know kind of like looking more on like my you know like kind of like how I complicate people. I guess that's not something that I've really worked on a lot. I guess you know moving back there's a lot of you know altercation or like kind of like arguments that could be resolved, you know, just turn out to be bit pretty big later on in life that I would like to go back and fix as well.
1: Got it. Got it. I definitely want to like learn more about data because sure, I think the whole no code concept is very intriguing to me. But before that, I wanna know a bit more about like how and why do you go into AI, artificial intelligence. Like there is a gap in between you starting your first gig just now you mentioned, and then how do you progress into artificial intelligence?
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah, actually that's a that's a question that gets asked pretty quickly. So at you know, at the surface level, you know, even when you play games, you know, there's already artificial intelligence element, you know, um, non-playable characters will come to you to help you in quest. All these are programmed by a series of, you know, rule books that they will tend to follow to make it seem like they're lifelike. And I guess for AI that we see nowadays, it's also pretty much bedging on the same rules. You know, there's a rule book that's programmed. You know, if I see this 40 bread, I'm going to push it off the conveyor belt. You know, that's a very early form of AI to what it is now, you know, that, you know, if I see certain people clustering together in my camera, I'm going to take a snapshot and say, hey, you know, those bunch of people are, you know, not obeying the... The you know like the stay home notice or certain things. So I guess between this translation of you know space AI to so kind of like a you know like cam- camera based you know general artificial intelligence. I guess that there, there lies a, li- a line of progression that I was already treading on. My first job out of university in fact was not a game developer. It was kind of like a machine learning engineer for a drone company that is present here in Singapore and Malaysia. It's Governor robotics. I was mm-hmm. programming kind of like the drone navigation system using uh, vision. So I guess that's really my induction to the whole AI. Uh, Yeah, so I would say the first job right off the bat was already not game development. But it's been applied uh, broadly everywhere. Artificial intelligence, you know, mathematics, I've seen everywhere. So I guess the transition was imminent.
1: Got it. So this this, this is the question, right? What exactly is AI other than... Okay, so from my understanding, I think I have slightly better tech knowledge than most people. I guess. Yeah. Like from my understanding I know artificial intelligence. It's basically teaching a robot to recognize things. It's basically I don't know, like that that voice in our phone, it's either called Siri or Google Assistant that can talk to us like human. This is artificial intelligence that I know yeah. of. But in your word like how would you explain AI to people? Like what exactly is AI? Hmm. Well, I guess
0: my kind of definition that I usually mention is, you know, if there's some sort of like a system, you know, it could be any system in fact, like a computer system, that kind of act and react to you in kind of like a very human-like way, you tend to call it, you tend to recognize it as like an artificial intelligence. So I guess the artificial comes from, as you said, like robots, um, our mobile phones. That's the artificiality of it. And I guess intelligence is something that you know both of you can relate, both of us can relate to, which is if I say, "Hey, find me the closest restaurant." it's going to give me a response that a human will give me like, hey, here's three restaurants uh, in your area. You
1: know, I would call that
0: AI anytime. I think the umbrella of AI covers pretty much a lot of things these days. Hmm.
1: Got it. And then from my knowledge, there is like deep learning and machine learning. And this is like the, it's it's basically like training the computer, yes, yeah. right? Like what's the difference in between deep learning and machine learning?
0: Hmm. So I guess you, yeah, that, you're absolutely correct. You know, the, the, I don't, just, to, just to quickly hash it out is the, the difference between machine learning and just traditional AI is the learning phase as you just mentioned and it quickly extends to machine learning versus deep learning. So I guess deep learning is under machine learning except that for deep learning the word deep comes from actually a very technical term where there are many systems within one system mm-hmm. that learn multiple things. So it can be like a say like a speech recognition, right? You know, traditional speech recognition just tries to capture your your. Your sound wave and then kind of pitch it into words. The, the newer system uses deep learning. So the deep portion is, you know, they kind of analyze more, you know, on your voice. It could be what you've said before, it could be what they think you're going to say, you know, how does a whole DPA they look at more things contributing to the deep element. Uh, there's more layers and they give you a much more accurate result that represent what you might want. So I guess that's the key difference here.
1: Does that mean like, okay, so. I mean this is this is from my understanding really so machine learning is like a very broad and wide data get analyzed and deep learning deep learning goes deeper in like say for example a speech recognition they go they collect similar data that is like in maybe one vertical and then they you know analyze it and, and have more variation of it but you know same result kind of thing so that it recognizes it more accurately is is, is that uh, what it is
0: yeah, I guess it, it fulfills like a, a general description of what deep learning is, yeah. But again, of course, deep learning, the word deep comes from a very technical term that has uh, <laughs> been loosely lost in translation. But it just means that it's a system with many, many layers deep down okay. um, that try to capture, as you said, uh, phenomena of a very deep vertical, like voice, uh, whatever you said, you know, mm. et cetera.
1: Is there any other kinds of learning? Mm, yes,
0: actually. Uh, it's one that you and I are very familiar with as well, which is uh, reinforcement learning. So it's a very cool thing. You know, it's like let's say when I teach my party, which is just a month right now, <laughs> like <laughs> I say, hey, you know, if you if you if you sit and then you get a treat, uh, mm-hmm. it's gonna do it again the moment I hold a treat. So reinforcement learning is the same, which is um, it's now being used in self-driving cars, you know, you know, where they say, Hey, if you touch certain lane, oh, you get deducted in points. So I guess the machine tries to optimize us to not lose points. You know, it has so much points, it doesn't lose it. And reinforcement learning seems to have worked greatly for things that uh, must be automated with rules that are you know very broad. So things like self-driving car, they use largely reinforcement learning and deep learning. So it's going to say, hey, if you touch the lane, beep, minus marks, and it's going to try to steer that again. Oh, mm-hmm. you're driving too close to a car. Oh, it's a red light. You didn't stop. Beep, minus marks. And over time, the system kind of self-adjusts to the kind of rule that you set for it implicitly. So I guess there's deep learning, there's reinforcement learning, and you know, those are the things that uh, are present and popular these days.
1: Got it, got it. So. Where, where is AI now? And is it getting out of hands in, in a sense that, because I remember I ha- have like heard on Clubhouse once saying that, you know, and I even read articles like this, you know, AI developing AI within AI and like, you know, developer don't even understand it and, and shut it down. Like, is, is that happening frequently and is it something that, you know, we should be concerned about? Hmm.
0: I think... I think that's a great point. I think in terms of like you know things that data should do, you know things that uh, other AI companies that found it does. You know, I would say those are kind of like more uh, tamed ones. You know, it, it's yep. kind of like not so general intelligence. It's just like for data, uh, we are a computer vision company, so we work with images and videos, and whole system will make decisions for you based on certain things, right? And I, I guess for like a AI that recommends, you know, if you are buying a toy, it's going to recommend you, why not just buy a toy cleaner, you know, upselling AI. Those are kind of a bit more in denial in a sense. But I guess it's very important to to keep note that, you know, while these are happening, uh, research is actually at the forefront of it, you know, like research is so far ahead, you know, than what we are commercializing at startups. And those research are, have seen phenomena as what well. You just mentioned, you know, like AI creating like encoded languages that you know, to bypass uh, researchers, you know, to communicate more efficiently and researchers don't know what they are, what language they are using, you know, and those are real. But I would say, you know, to not be afraid would be, you know, to be foolish. But I must say at this point, you know, like um, most systems are still uh, well controlled. There are certain authorities in place for large scale experiments. So I would say, you know, it, it's, it's, it's pretty okay now, but I would say exponentially, it's going to get harder and harder control. And that's what we should be worried about, you know, as normal citizens.
1: Are you worried? Like, do you do you go into bed like thinking what will happen with, you know, all this super advanced AI that is out there in the world?
0: Yeah, I I think it's not always on the top of my mind, but I'll share with you this you know like this meme I saw the other day, which is you know there's like a guy you know like both of us it says oh AI is gonna take over the world, Mm -hmm. and then there's a meanwhile, meanwhile at the developer lab, the AI misclassifies a dog as a cat. So it comes kind of to bring a very funny contrast oh. where you know AI is being used to do day to day things and it's still getting things wrong, yep. but meanwhile you have AI's you know piloting space shuttles, you have AI piloting cars that is moving across the US. So I guess the broad term of AI you know can either get someone to be very you know like very alarmed, very afraid because they are thinking of the right hand spectrum of it, mm-hmm. and of course there are people who just say nah, AI is just a bunch of if else if else you know it is a dog it is a dog it is a cat it's a cat, and, and they kind of trivialize it. So I guess you know we are somewhere probably in the middle, but I guess it's best to think ahead of. You know what? What are the dangers that could be present, you know, both ethically and as well as safety wise.
1: And what do you think normal citizens can? How do you, how do we educate ourselves enough so that we know what's happening? And I don't know. Is there any things that we can do to protect ourselves?
0: Hmm. Well, I guess I guess better start treating your machines right is the immediate answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I guess, you know, in general, uh, what we can do, you know, is even something that I'm doing myself is just, just to probably like yourself, read up more and find learn more about uh, AI, you know, through Clubhouse, professional sharing, you know, articles. I, I think it's quickly it's best to you know up to date with the development of AI. Mm-hmm. I guess by and large, there's really nothing much uh, we can do except for questioning the ethics of AI. So say if AI uh, machine, you know, makes something wrong with your surgery, you know, who pays for it you know there's a mm. hospital pay for it There's a developer pay for it I, I guess at some levels to have discussions like this so that you know when events like this come up you know we, we already have a platform for discussing you know ethics um you know at a very broad level at a, like a day-to-day copy level uh, you mm. know what do we think of this and I think it's important to have these conversations you know, so that moving forward you know five ten years you know it's going to be a thing you know AI is going to screw up somewhere human life is going to be cost and, and at least you know people have an outlet to kind of discuss
1: about uh, the morality behind certain things. Okay. And how far do you think AI can go? Like would it eventually run the world? I mean like I I, I don't mean to like make this sound like a sci fi movie yeah. discussion, but yeah, how far do you think it can go?
0: Well I think the way I like to think of it is, you know, as people as we are lazy, anything that can be yeah. automated will be automated one day. And I think I think that's true in terms of like governance as well, you know. We have and it's starting to take form, you know, like you know, our text processing forms, you know, like certain things are being processed by, you know, like computer vision, AI, you know, those are being automated, of course at a smaller scale, right? At documents level. But I think, you know, over time, you know, things like I feel like policy making, it could be like summary judgments, you know, all, all these more trivial things can and can and will be automated in time to come. It's just a matter of when and how robust it is. So I guess it, it can go pretty far. Whether it can contrast, I guess it really depends on the next generation of the AI scientists, you know, whether again the topic of morality has has been mentioned, you know, since they were young, you know, right? don't do this, you know, don't do that. Um, and to them, it's, like it's
1: much more uh, natural because when they are here, it's already here, like, at the same time with them. To us, I don't know, I feel like our generation and the elder generation, it's a bit against it because it's so new and we try to, like, fight against mm. it.
0: Yeah. yeah, totally agree here. Yeah. And and I think the key thing here is the exp- that this whole thing is exponential and like all things exponential, you know. Looking back, you know, everything looks so slow, but looking forward it's just this steep lineup that you are not prepared for, no matter which point of the curve you're at. And, and, and so it's always true for you know innovation in fintech, etc. You know, again, it lies on having conversations, having regulations, and I think, you know, by and large we should be fine. Cool.
1: What what is the can you give us one good example of AI is being put in use for?
0: Hmm, so I guess things like factories, so we used to work with, uh, or we are working with say, Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. a lot of things they, you know, Rolls Royce have so much uh, data that uh, they could automate a bunch of stuff, you know, and you know, like other factory companies you know, like LTA, you know, when the road defects are, you know, are there. AI is being used to identify these defects and classify them. Hey, you know this is a cement defect. You know this is like a you know like a road defect. You know send somebody here to fix it. So these are things that you know happen day to day, uh, where there's an AI model, a deep learning model, as we just mentioned, that's mm-hmm. looking at all these photos and say, ah, this is the one that is uh, please do something about it because it deteriorates or something. Yeah, so that's an example.
1: I see, I see, and and I think this is a question that everybody asks, and I kind of like know what's the Standard answer like would we run out of jobs and people will say like oh you know there will be different kind of jobs blah blah blah. What what do you think about it like and and what kind of jobs would there be in the future if say you know AI takes over most of the the menial stuff you know mm. admin and all.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think it, 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 it's interesting you mentioned about admin because you know um, the admin part is really where people feel like uh, there's a lot of threat coming you know um. And I think it's true, I think you put it in a, in a better way that could put it, which is new jobs will be created, you know, old jobs will be replaced. And of course, they always say, you know, like the comment is always, oh, you have to prepare yourself for the next generation of things. And I think it's especially true because, you know, like document passing, for example, I just mentioned, have already been automated by AI systems. You know, next inspection is going to be automated by AI systems. You know, you know more and more things are going to be taken out of uh, people's hands. But again... The people who live on, you know, to continue their job, uh, they become supervisors, right? Because now they have to supervise AI systems, intelligent systems. So I guess it's really to upgrade yourself, um, you know, and make sure that you know where are the boundaries. I think it's too early to have a very like alarmist view of, oh, you know, like AI is going to take our jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's still a bit too early. But I'll say, like, you know, but for for everyone, say in the admin world, it's say legal, you know, where there's a lot of text and can be automated. I guess it's best to quickly know what are the boundaries of AI. How can you apply itself? You know, and and yeah, yeah. And, and just be prepared, and when things changes.
1: And does that mean Thanos is right? We don't need that much of human beings because you know, like we used to have factories and we need factory workers, and that's a lot of manpower. Uh, with AI taking over all this automation, does that mean we don't need as much, you know, as mm. many humans or as as many as much manpower as it used to be, mm.
0: I guess there'll be a shift in manpower, as you mentioned, uh, people people will shift to the new jobs, you know, be, be, we'll probably see more developers, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see more people who are software engineers of universities, you know, especially, you know, in Singapore and Malaysia, more people are opting to be computer science uh, programmers these days. So I guess, you know, people move elsewhere. I, I guess by and large, term, you know, I, I still believe that, uh, you know, based on what I've seen, my very key whole view of AI, of course, is that. Things a lot of things are not ready to be uh, displaced again because of morality issues. You know, would you completely trust an AI to drive the car? Now, probably not. Right. You know, would you trust an AI to kind of do operations on you? Probably not. You know, things like that. Uh, you know, because there are still uncharted territories. I guess it's not a biggest cause of concern. But I guess yeah. Back to the point, it is. You know, if you're an admin, you know, you should quickly apply yourself and you know, try to be prepared for the next wave of automation. Got
1: it. Got it. Cool. So I think we have a pretty good understanding about what's ai uh, i want to know a bit more about data chair so you mentioned about you know uh, applying machine learning with no line of codes so how do you achieve that is that an ai running behind to teach another machine ai like how how tell me more about data chair
0: yeah, you're absolutely right. The key basis of like the backboard data chair is that there's an AI that's helping you to generate and then another AI. And it brings about a lot of convenience. Users so of course users like you know like yourself, let's say if you want to make like a cat detector, you just want to find out with your camera where the cat is. You could of course use data chair to build like a system. All you have to do is just upload images, draw a lot of boxes around cats, it's gonna ask you, is this a cat? You say, Yep, it's a cat. And after a few times, the machine learning model will pick up So, Ah, I know what, you know, like uh Sean's cat look like now. So every time it's in the camera, it's like oh, it's here, 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 here. So that's actually what our system does. The key thing that we're automating away really is, and you probably have heard of it, you know, like which is people are buying more and more GPUs for hmm. crypto mining for AI training. So the portion whereby people have to buy GPUs, you know, com- good computers, or use the cloud, you know, to you know train on many photos of let's say your cat. These are being no coded away, right? So we kind of automate all these tasks so that you don't have to write the codes, and it's rightfully so because. To be honest, after we have observed kind of like the industry for a while, kind of like 80% of the code are the same, but the way that you would train a model, by and large, is the same. Uh, the process is, you know, but the thing is, it's a process that many people have to learn separately. You know, now you have to learn about AI. Now you have to learn about cloud. Oh, crap, suddenly you have to learn about GPU uh, programming. Uh, you know, you it's so cross-disciplined that we thought, you know, we got to put a stop to this and collate everything together and make it like an editor system where you just mm-hmm. drag a bunch of blocks like Lego, connect them, and then we will run all the service for you. So that's really the motivation and the start of Data uh, Huh.
1: I mean, on one end, I'm thinking like, we barely understand about machines right now. R- nowadays, instead of like, you know, back then, people know like what's what they can do the welding themselves. Now we will be looking at all these machines like, it's, it looks so beautiful, but we don't know how it works. <laughs> yeah. So on, on one end, that is, that is one I don't think it's a slight concern because for me, I always try to find out uh, how things work. Like I open up phones, change screens and, and, and stuff like that. That's one thought that comes to my head when when you mentioned about it. Like would the future generation don't even know how machine learning is is born or, or, or created. They know how to use it, but they don't know how to create it. On another end, I'm thinking like, so what's the application say on a day-to-day basis? People like me, like not corporates in terms of like to, to optimize solution, right? Is there any application for us to use, say, your services or like similar services?
0: Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think you brought a great point before, and I just want to address that. You know, like uh, the much of deep learning because I've given the you know how deep it is mm-hmm. actually acts like a black box. You know, half the time when say we have a very successful model that can count the number of fishes across multiple cameras in a farm, uh, very accurately, half the time we can't even look in to see what the model is trying to do. You know, and when we try to look into the pictures, you know, we can't see a lot of like, statics, you know, like a lot of static noise, you know, on the TV. And the thing is it's very hard to see what the model was looking at. But the thing is it gave correct predictions. And I think it's one of the big problems of deep learning this day, which you brought up, which is explainability. You know, can the model explain why um it knows how many fishes there are? Can it explain why it thinks based on your scan that you have cancer? So an explainability portion is still not there yet. And it's something that actually to be honest, a lot of people are working on in research these days. On you know, on the other topic on um know, kind of like data just day-to-day um, applications. But, you know, I must be honest, there really isn't a lot. You know, it's not something that me and you would use on a normal day-to-day basis. But we have had customers who used it for tracking birds. So, you know, I think we have a customer in the US who was trying to catch certain kind of birds. So he trained a model quickly on our platform. And then whenever a bird fly past, it's going to draw a box on it and spot it. Something mm-hmm. like that. So I think, you know, there probably is hobby's use case, but I'm probably not that. Other such a broad knowledge to quickly uh, think of use cases where that might happen, you know. But it's what makes the job exciting because, you know, sometimes if users say, hey, this is a picture of uh, this happening. It's pretty cool that I made it work. And, you know, we learn something there uh, you know, every day. Mm,
1: okay. I mean, when, when you mentioned about like how, how my cat looks, I can imagine like pet lovers could probably, like, I don't know, train the CCTV to monitor if, if the, the pet goes out of range, you know, send you yeah. send yourself a notification. Yeah,
0: totally, totally, yeah. That, that could be a, actually a use case
1: cool cool okay so now i want to know a bit more about you starting the company like because i also read on one of the articles mentioning that eventually you realize that you know entrepreneurship is that thing for you how do you come to this realization like what what happened hmm. I,
0: I think i never or rather me and my co-founder never once said now and say hey you know like we want to be founders of something mm-hmm. I, I guess this whole process was, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. We started a company because we we joined a hackathon and we wanted to collect the money, and we had to have private to collect okay. the money. So that was the only reason why we ever incorporated a company. <laughs> did actually. you end
1: up like getting the the, the, the money?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. We did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was actually just because of that. Yeah. All right. But I, I guess to really push on and call it startup, I I guess it was because we really wanted to. Um, own the problem, and also, you know, we figured that, you know, me and my co-founder, Denzel, we were, I think we were, we were preparing for a few competitions, you know, just hackathons that we would like to join, and then we thought, you know, like, some of the hackathons actually present, you know, like, a proper problem statements, you know, no and,
1: and, problem statement.
0: yeah, real problem statements that we were really interested in, and we just thought, you know, and, and we did finish it, and we gave it to the company, and we just thought, hey, you know, like, we actually wanted to really own the problem, because we feel like, we know how this goes. And that was really when, you know, we, we decided to kind of start data start to say, hey, you know, we will make it ourselves. And then we will sell to people and, you know, tell them that this is a solution to their problems. So I guess it's really the, our innate in need for ownership of the problems that made us really want to start this whole journey.
1: Hmm. And I mean, with, with, with the knowledge in AI, right, I, I would assume if you were to work for a corporation, you'd probably get paid like really well right? How has the journey on starting your own company been so far? What's the most rewarding part of it? Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think the hardest part, you know, really is that, you know, it's something that most entrepreneurs battle with and be comfortable with on a day-to-day basis. I, I That's the biggest thing for me because, you know, I was used to, the army was routine, university was routine, and, and you know, southern, and when I my first job, it was routine. And the time when we say, okay, I'm going to quit the job and start, start up you know, suddenly, you know, like there's no safety nets, you know, because there's a, a bit of financial safety net, but by and large, everything's gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hardest to, it's quite hard to live with that you know, for the first few months. Uh, but of course, I'm glad to have uh, supporting friends and partners as well. The most rewarding thing actually is uh, working with interns. So I guess, you know, when we, you know, on every summer, you know, we have interns coming to DataShare to pick on a project and then refine it all the way. It, it really feels good when people or like students, you know, they can come in and they empathize with the project product that we're doing. They say, hey, you know, I, I know this is exactly why this is so important and I just want to work on it. And, and we have interns, you know, working for, you know, and they could have gotten high pay, but they still chose to come um, to work on our problem statement because, you know, they said that the problem was so exciting that they didn't want to pass it out and they want a piece of it. And it was really uh, you know, the best feeling of it because knowing that we are not alone in trying to tackle some of the hardest problems, computer vision, at least here, vision. Got it.
1: Cool. And, and are you a tech co-founder in terms of like, are, are you the one that's focusing on building the tech?
0: Mm, yeah, both of us are actually tech technical co-founders. Okay. You know, the CEO, CTO thing is just really something that we have to break down. So I, I kind of like did more of the accounting stuff, you know, trying to you know, set up the company administratively. But mm-hmm. I would say, you know, my co-founder, Denzel, he has actually put in a lot of sales. So, you know, if you look at it, he's actually, he's also a salesman, but he's also doing a PhD uh, at the same time. So, and he's yeah. a technical co-founder. So I guess it's a weird dynamic, you know, where there's two technical co-founders, you know, we're trying to tell each other how to do tech, um, <laughs> but then we have very little experience running a company. So most of the time, you know, we're just asking for help. So yeah, so that's actually a couple of day-to-day interactions.
1: So, so I would assume the most challenging part would be on the business end of the business?
0: Definitely, yeah.
1: Got it. And does being a tech co-founder or like a co-founder with, you know, sufficient techno- tech knowledge gives you unfair advantage?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think I think it definitely does because uh, at some level, I feel like if you're like a CEO or CTO, co-founder of a tech company and you kind of 100% don't know tech, you only know business, you know, you're a business administrator, you kind of find it easy. You kind of, at some level, you know, you, you kind of lose control of the product because anything you say doesn't matter because uh, if the tech team doesn't want to do it or they don't know how to do it most of the time, they won't do it for you. And, you know, like you kind of miss out on a lot of things and you can't really know whether... Whether they're talking about technical requirements, say let's say I want to bring the cat detector thing to market, right? say it's mm-hmm. the thing. You know, you don't know whether the people on the other end of the table are you know kind of like smoking you. They're telling you lies about technical requirements that if you are a technical person, you know, you have caught it out. So I think it's still important to know um the technical portion of the business, at least a little. It definitely helps a lot. It's definitely an edge when every time we go to a meeting, we know exactly uh what the technical requirements is, and we can project uh revenue immediately from there or cost from there.
1: Got it. So what's your vision with Data chair?
0: Hmm. Yeah. For Data chair, now we are doing um, as I mentioned, uh, vision. So mm-hmm. everything got to do with the eye. We'll try to mimic it. We really want to move on to, you know, longer term, you know, all things cognitive. So maybe it could be hearing, could be text, like NLP, you know, like chatbots, things, you know, maybe you can make a chatbot, drag and drop in the future. So I think for data chair, we really want it to be, you know, the largest biggest thing that we have is we want to empower people or democratize access to AI or deep learning algorithms so that anyone can be on the bandwagon without having to go through two, three years of training. So that's the biggest, you know, banner of um, statement. Underneath it is we really want to tackle all things, you know, cognitive, eyesight, hearing. We want to make it such that our deep learning system can understand it and push business value, of course, automation value uh, for companies or clients.
1: That's very cool. Um, Before we wrap this up, do you have any advice for tech entrepreneurs? I'm,
0: You know, I'm, I'm still pretty early in the whole founding journey. So mm-hmm. but if I can give an advice, you know, like like-minded people who are at the start along with me, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say it's to, really, um, to really fall in love with the problem, you know, really understand it, then to try to, you know, try to kind of find the, the kind of like money, you know, like the kind of freedom you have as a founder. Because to be honest, those things wear off within 30 days. You know, I was, we were coding from home, you know, we thought it was a cool life in office we're sitting on beanbags. they in the office we're sitting on <laughs> beanbags, but you know after a while those kind of things they wear off and the real problem hit you and um, I, I guess it's it's your passion for the problem you know and it's a bit cringy to say this but it's really a passion for the problem that you know at some level they will keep you on going and they'll keep you pushing all the way
1: yeah I, I, I really like this quote as well actually uh, like fall in love with the problem as you said and not the solution not the product that you're trying not the idea that you, are, you have so that you keep going Cool. Yeah, thank you so much, Kichin, for joining us today. I think it's really an eye-opening conversation for me. Uh, we talk a little bit about like all these sci-fi scenarios that would possibly happen. I enjoyed it a lot, and I really hope that I get to travel to uh, Singapore to meet you in yeah. person soon. <laughs>
0: yeah of course thanks thanks for having Sean and yeah I look forward to having you on our we back in our office soon <laughs> so please let me know when you're in the area and definitely. we can talk about sci-fi endings and utopia anytime definitely, okay. definitely.
1: cool thank you so much and uh, yeah I hope to see you soon thank you oh right remember to follow Founded SG and Founded MY on Instagram for the giveaway and please don't hesitate to share any that you have